Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Come to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. It is 1129 on the East Coast. We've got Clemson still in action. Kind of running away with things. 48-20 to against Louisiana Tech. Texas. Looks dicey for a minute there for Steve Sarkeesian in the Longhorns, but it is 38 to 20. And it is 17 to 6 late in the third quarter. Texas AM and Miami. I mean, I don't know why you're putting thumbs down, Tom. It Mario does mean- with kicking that field goal. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we can we I know that field goal decisions are always going to get graded here on the Cover Three podcast, but they will be applauded when we have a lock infinity on the under of 44 and a half. So at least that is able to go so much to get to. This was an incredibly busy uh, week three. We had an unbelievable ending in Boone. We had some near upsets, including Bobby Petrino trying to ride off into the sunset in Fayetteville, Arkansas without a helmet. And, you know, he crashed eventually, but you know, the good, good on Arkansas and being able to get, take care of business right there. Uh, Florida, it got dicey with USF uh, all up and down the top 25, lots of interesting results. The one game between ranked teams that we did not even mention on the locks pod provided a good bit of content for us to dig in on. We had Amazing, amazing uh, turn of events in DeKalb, which I'm sure we will get to. But I guess uh, since we are here in the moment, do we want to at least grade the beginning of Miami, Texas A&M for just just a split second before we get on to the results that were? I mean, just it's a live instant reaction show. Chat's popping right now. Subscribe uh, at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 if you want to join the conversation. Thoughts so far on what we're seeing from Texas A&M? 
they look a little bit better uh, than they, they did with Haynes King. Max Johnson they is still able stink, to, though. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, like, look, look, look. They're not they're not playing good offense, but they're not just completely inept on offense. They can do a couple things. That they they can run this little freeze counterplay. They're running. Max Johnson can capably throw all these really really short West Coast routes that they want to run. Uh, I mean, I'm sure maybe while I'm talking, they'll they'll dial up a, a shot play third and two here from midfield. Uh, but they look competent ish for for. But like, if it was anybody else's offense, you'd be like, this is terrible. But given what offense this is, you're like, okay, yeah, this is about what it's supposed to look like, right? So as, uh, as and, we sit here now, the, they co- just lost the two quarterbacks. In this game, are combined nineteen for forty. <laughs> like huh. this game sucks. Let's be real. <laughs> and, so, what uh, was the what was the best game of the day that you saw so far? What was what was the one game that stood out where you were like that 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 was the good stuff right there? That that was a, a highly competitive or highly entertaining game. What was the best game of the day so far? I mean, like. I didn't see all of it, but obviously you talked about the the App State Troy game. I saw the ending to that game, and that was really fun. I thought the Florida South Florida game. I don't know if I would call it good, but it was interesting. I saw none of Wake Liberty, but that appears to have been a pretty decent game. Other than that, I mean, Syracuse Purdue. I think was probably go. the most fun I had watching a football game all day, and the ending was just ridiculous ridiculous like just dumb penalties all over the place and everybody both from the players perspective and the referees perspective it just completely altered the end of that game but yeah just for sheer idiocy and entertainment factor Syracuse Purdue was the game of the day for me I missed part of that like about the first 50 minutes or so what what did I miss I did see the end I was at a a three-year-old's birthday party at Build-A-Bear so that was Really, really thrilling. Did you Had get any high- win total picks? Because the last time I was at a three-year-old's birthday party, got that Carolina sweet, sweet over seven and a half. It's looking pretty good with Notre Look Dame. That. Down. I, I did not pull any win total picks. Um, no, I I, I, I I was sweating UCLA uh, for a little bit. So uh, that was that was interesting. No, I it was, Tom, what, what happened in this thing? Well, it the, was kind of like... Oh, go ahead, Chip. Well, I was going to say the, the penalty thing happened throughout the entire game. Like yes. that was yeah. that was there are 20 penalties in this game. Yeah, the only way that either team was sustaining offensive drives was by the all PI offense. You know, like <laughs> anything you could do to draw penalties on the defense to be able to extend a drive, nothing was working. Um, and even when Purdue was having some offensive success with Aiden O'Connell, they weren't able to punch it in. They weren't able to run the ball at all. I think that one of my biggest takeaways is that Syracuse's defense it for all that we made about Robert and I and uh, you know how fun it was going to be with Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker and this creative offense, like that, that just might have been a Louisville defense issue. And, uh, and this might have been a situation where Syracuse's defense is actually the real deal. Um, I don't know. We don't, we, we don't have to sit on that too much, but I will say to answer your question, bud, the, the both teams being dumb was the only way that either team was having any success for most of the game. And then, and Garrett Schrader was not great pushing the ball down the field, but he delivered like the one pass that you needed in a perfect spot uh, to be able to hit that game winner. I don't know. Tom, yeah, like here? Cliff, cliff note version of the fourth quarter, like uh, Syracuse was up 18 to 15. 
Aiden O'Connell on a first and 10 is being tackled as he's, you know, he's, there's pressure. He's getting tackled. And on a first and 10, for some reason, Aiden O'Connell decides, I need to throw this ball. I can't just take this sack or, you know, whatever. He's like, no, this is like a do or die situation. So as he's being dragged to the ground, he flings the ball right into the waiting arms of the defensive lineman three yards in front of him, who then takes it 17 yards for a pick six, makes it a 25 to 15 game with just like eight minutes left. You're thinking, okay, that's the game. Aiden O'Connell just blew this. And then bang, like two minutes later, he's chucking a 55-yard bomb to Charlie Jones, who somehow, some way, manages to keep getting open behind everybody's secondary this year. I have and just thinking what Iowa was doing, not using him at all because it didn't have a quarterback capable of throwing the ball that far. He catches the 55-yard touchdown. So now it's a game again. Purdue gets the ball back in the final minute. They drive down the field, 12-yard touchdown to take a 29-25 lead, get a bunch of penalties for like unsportsmanlike conducts and stuff. So they got a kickoff from like the 10. So Syracuse gets incredible field position after the kick. They move down the field in 44 seconds to score with seven seconds left to win the game. I mean, I saw, I saw a lot of pre-snap penalties, which, oh, which it, really, just... it really only told me, I mean, like, especially when Purdue was having pre-snap penalties. That, you know why it was? It's because the signal was great. The JMA wireless dome. It's because the dome, listen, I see, listen, you listening right now on Sunday morning, you're asking for it. We talked about Syracuse. We got Jake in the chat. He's asking for it. We got Mark in the chat. He's asking for it. You knew that when Syracuse improved to 3-0 and on a day like today, you were going to get it. Close your eyes. Visualize this. You're in the carrier dome. House is filled. The feeling is electric. The noise is deafening. You have a defense that is relentless. You have a special teams that has been well, well coached. You have an, block an extra point that will not huddle. And you have a game that's faster than you've ever seen on turf. That's going to be a reality. That's going to be Syracuse football. <laughs> no joke, but I had, I'm suddenly I'm like, why the hell does Bud have his eyes closed? I forgot the part where Dino died. <laughs> I've never closed my eyes. Like, I, I got to try this one time. Syracuse wins again. We, we, we need to. Open your eyes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... It, like it was a day that was was great for the podcast, but you know we can we can dive more into that uh, just a little bit later. So we've got uh, Georgia in an absolute blowout of South Carolina. Any notes? You know, you know what that game made me think about honestly, just watching how inept South Carolina's offense was. You know, there's always the stupid like could this college football team beat the worst NFL team? And I'm watching that game and I'm thinking, all right, Georgia's defense is the closest thing that we have to an NFL defense at the college level. And if that's what a college offense is capable of doing against that defense, what is the best, you know, what's Alabama going to do against an NFL defense? So it's just, that's, I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's what I thought about because it felt like I was watching a college team play an NFL team. You were. (laughs) Tom basically said it there on on, on the Georgia defensive side. They, they were just relentless. I mean, you, you have guys who don't get in until late fourth quarter. I'm like, man, I remember that guy was like a five-star. They're just <laughs> stacked up there. And, and 
the, the intensity that Georgia plays with looks like how Bama's defense used to look mm-hmm. when, when, when Kirby was there, when, 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 when Nick had some of those crazy defenses. Like, I bet you their practices are among the most physical in the country. Now, apparently Nebraska's were very, very physical this week, which they just ran out of hits, I guess. And we'll, we'll hit that in a second. But, um, yeah, Georgia's defense looked absolutely insane. Stetson Bennett looked, I think, awesome, just accurate, yeah. totally in control. Uh, thing that really stood out Bro- to me here was, I mean, Todd Munkin, guys, is doing a great job with that personnel. They, they didn't have A.D. Mitchell right. They're, they're, they're still waiting on some other receivers to get back. Uh, I don't – Arik Gilbert, did he, did he play today? No. I mean, like, so – Georgia, like the guys they do have are really good, but they don't have their full complement of weapons. And, and Stetson's totally in control of that offense. Munkin does a great job calling it. And South Carolina, like, let's point this out, had a ton of defensive injuries. They, they, they lost Trey and they, they lost Kava last week. It was also revealed that, that Smith, who is one of the best, very best corners in, in the entire country, didn't play with a concussion. Then they lose another guy to an injury. I think they lost a guy to a targeting and then immediately they're like, oh, we got a true freshman third-string safety in this game. Over the top, 70-yarder to, to Brock Bowers. That's really – I went back and watched. the. That, that's when I turned this on. I was like, oh, okay. Like I, I saw the guy go down, touchdown Bowers on a long shot. If, if, they had, if they played the playoff tomorrow, which they don't, Georgia would win, pretty sure. Oh, the whole like if if Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Michigan, Tom Fernelli's college football playoff were to go down tomorrow, you think Georgia wins? Yeah. All right. So let me follow it up. I would say that Bowers is the uh, MOP. Well, I don't know if we do MOP, but like the one that- touchdown catch he had <laughs> along the sideline. God. He's like he had he the one over the middle where he just broke like fifty. Yeah. Go. No. He. He had the one where he caught the pass over the middle and broke like four tackles and then ran for 40 yards. But that one where he caught in the back on the sideline was just incredible. That's the thing is I think he's the most unguardable pass-catching threat that is in college football right now. This That dude is a problem. And uh, and I, that's that's very exciting. I don't... I'm not going to overreact because Georgia does look like the best team in the country as they are ranked properly. Um, running the ball? How do we feel about Georgia running the ball? Do they need to? It's the modern offense. It's the modern game, right? As long as Stetson Bennett is efficient, as long as we can work the ball to our tight ends and hit enough plays through the passing game, it's not a big deal. But on like a down to down basis, you're 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 you know, run of the mill run plays aren't exactly popping like they like they have been in years past with the Georgia Bulldogs. Is there that any reason for concern? It could be later in the season against better teams. I mean, they, they averaged six yards per carry today. It's just a lot of that came from Stetson Bennett, Carson Beck. If you take the quarterback yardage out of there, that average drops a little bit. They had the one play to Ladd McConkey. I think he picked up 13 yards. So, yeah, the running backs aren't really finding a ton of space. So that could be a concern, but it's not a, a huge concern to me right now because I think, that is part of the reason they're having so much success in the passing game. I look every every team out there has something to work on right now. Okay, uh, Ohio State tonight didn't handle quarterback mobility. That's probably going to be your only Ohio State note, right? But like they they did allow some scores there as Finn was running was running around for Toledo. Uh, Alabama clearly has a lot of passing game stuff to work on. 
and Georgia needs to work on its run game a little bit. Although I'm not really concerned. I, I think the question is more ceiling of this passing game. When those guys get back, how do they use them? If they have, if they get in situations where they have to play from behind, play action maybe not quite as effective. That that type of stuff. They look they're, they're the number one team for me right now. They, they look great. All right, let's talk about the number six team in the polls that uh, that I think will be moving into the top five, uh, given a slow start for the Clemson Tigers and g- given the impressive win for the Oklahoma Sooners. So. Oklahoma goes into Nebraska. This thing opens up at Circa at 16 and gets bet very quickly down all the way to 11, flirted with a little 10, 10 and a half, and you look up at halftime and it's 35 to 7. Nebraska has scored on its opening scripted drive, and then that Brent Venables defense entirely shut out the Cornhuskers until Chuba... it was Chuba Purdy. Yeah, until Chuba Purdy comes in in garbage uh, Chuba. time. Chuba Purdy comes in in garbage time and gets a, a late touchdown with about three minutes left. But basically everything in between that first drive for Nebraska and garbage time was all Oklahoma, both sides of the ball. They ran the ball well. Eric Gray finishes with 113 yards and two scores on 11 carries. Uh, Dylan Gabriel finishes with 230 yards passing and two touchdowns. There is a... Nebraska's defense is what they thought we were, what is what we thought they were. But there's also, I think, some Oklahoma to this where uh, they stepped up into an interesting situation with a lot going on, a team that is dealing with a coach that was just fired, and they took care of business. I, I come away from this impressed with Oklahoma, and it's not just because of the point spread and the way that they covered it with ease but also just because of the manner with which they dispatched of Nebraska. Sometimes, to me, those sorts of things can mean a lot, and I thought that Oklahoma looked very, very good in a way that is incredibly encouraging if you're an Oklahoma fan. Agree. Yes. Like, but all, So Oklahoma looked really good to me. Uh, we. Venables is letting Levy run run the offense that he wants to run, which was a question for me. Like, would he would he do that? But his mentor Bob Stoops also let Mike Leach when he hired him. I don't know if you guys, this is kind of a painus as old heads type moment here, but if you guys recall, uh, when Bob Stoops got hired at Oklahoma, uh, he was told, "Hey, go hire the guy who drives you nuts when you face him." And, and mm-hmm. Stoops was the DC with the Gators, and he did not like facing a guy named Mike Leach, who was the OC for Kentucky. Now, Florida whipped Kentucky, but like it was still a pain to play him. So that appears to be what Venables did, right? He went out and hired the guy who he used to hate facing when Levy uh, was at Baylor back in the day when, when Venables was the DC there at Oklahoma. And he is letting him run the offense like he wants to run it. And that means they're going to score a whole lot of points on most everybody. It's sort of the Tennessee principle. That, that offense is kind of a cheat code if you run it in college football against most teams. Nebraska's defense, however, guys, like that's that's the reason I fought Danny on the pick. I mean, I, I was going to just throw it out as one of my own picks, but I, I was really anxious to fight him because I, I was like, they're not, it's not a motivational issue. And I don't think it's a coaching issue. Like Shenander last year, I thought did a really good job. They just don't have the dudes this year. Northwestern pushed those guys around and made them look slow. Georgia Southern dropped, what, 40? Seven in Lincoln. I was like, if Oklahoma wants wants fifty, they can get it. 
Yeah, no, that was just a domination. From I mean, like you said, Chip, they, Nebraska comes out with a really great opening drive, and then they probably just kind of wish the game ended there because everything after that was just 100% Oklahoma. Sooners are good. Like, you look at the Big 12, you just look at what's been happening around in that conference and some of the games and teams that lost today, like Kansas State losing to Tulane, Texas Tech loses to NC State, Texas was struggling with UTSA, Baylor losing to BYU last week. It's like you're, you know, it's like, you think Oklahoma at this point, you have to think it's the absolute best team in that conference by a long shot right now. I guess you could still throw Oklahoma State in there. You could throw Kansas in there, I suppose, with their three wins. Um, but I don't know. That's just like I don't I don't see that team losing more than once this year if it loses. I feel like that's a legit playoff contender right now. And also the second most impressive thing from that game besides Oklahoma was Joel Klatt, who at halftime, I don't know if you guys were watching because the game was over by that. Gus Johnson did not do the second half of this game. Joel Klatt had to, tra- to transfer from you know color to play-by-play and doing it all on his own, and then eventually he was joined by Brady Quinn and Urban Meyer and other guys, but that's like really hard to do. And Joel Klatt's one of my favorites in the booth these days, so just he, for him to be able to do that, I was like, that was, that was one of the most impressive things I saw all day. Listen, love Joel Klatt. I agree with you. I enjoy him, but I've heard that man give so many soliloquies on his opinions on college football. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I get it. You know, we gave you more space and you were ready to fill it. He's, he's done a lot of the, like the solo one shots where it's like, here's my two and a half minute opinion on the college football playoff. <laughs> and so like, I've, the fact that he was ready to step, Hey, listen, I'm a blowhard, right? Like I can step like <laughs> that. That'll be a good one. Like you give me all that airspace. I'm going to be able to fill it. Like I've, I've sat there and I've done the one man show on, on the radio and done three hours. It's, it's possible if you've got the words and I think that Joel Klatt's got the words, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And then the urban Meyer thing was just incredible. Like I, I joked with our editor today. I was like, why, why didn't we fire up a Nebraska Oklahoma live blog that just like in the headline says urban Meyer watches on as the Scott Frost coaching <laughs> search begins. Like the, we want urban chance during the pregame show. We're even putting urban Meyer in the booth message board geniuses. You know, I've, I've gotten a good laugh out of them recently. Like they were clipping the message boards. Like it's like urban Meyer is meeting with Trev Alberts right now as if, you're not maybe going to meet with them regardless, but, oh, that's so good. I guess, hold on, Urban Meyer, Nebraska job. Urban Meyer, Nebraska job. Make sure it's in the transcript and all of the SEO. I love that it haunted the day, and I'm so sorry for Nebraska fans that it did. <laughs> I mean, is Nebraska, is Nebraska going to hire Urban Meyer? Oh. I, I don't know who they're going to hire. I, I, no. I do not think they're going to hire Urban Meyer. Just guessing. Do you think they're going to try? I, th- I know who they're going to try to hire or who they should hire. I don't want what? them to hire him. Brett Brielma? No. Lance oh, Lance Leipold. Okay, Kansas. Let's go. All right, let's go. Let's go Rank them. Rank them. 3 0. Wins against Texas Tech. No, no, no. They they won. They won their opener against some FCS team, and then they beat West Virginia on the road last week, and they beat Houston on the road today. And they're like legitimately good. They have not been fluky wins. Like defensively, they still have some holes. Although they played pretty well today, I thought for the most part against Houston. But offensively, they are hard to stop. Now, once they get into like playing Oklahoma and some other better teams, maybe they're not going to be able to do what they were doing the last couple weeks. 
But offensively, they pose problems, man. They put you in situations where you have to make a decision and you make the wrong decision and it's a 30-yard pickup. And teams are making the wrong decisions and they're not making, they're not filling the gaps. They're getting out of their run fits. It's the strangest thing when I watch Kansas and I saw the same things at Buffalo when Lance Leipold was there. The offenses that they run, they do some sort of voodoo magic to get defenses out of their fits with, with ease. They do it constantly. And it was happening again today, just whole, 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 whole 30 yards, 20 yards, 15 yards, time and time again. They are a good team. They're really well coached. They, the thing is, like, they they also know exactly what they're looking for when they motion you. And when they see it, like, they they hit it. They're, they're not dropping back, like, hey, let's read all five of these. Like, no, we, we, run, we run this motion for this reason. We understand why we do it, right? We're, we run this shift for this reason, and we're going to look, and we're, we're going to find – that hole in your defense and like they would put up points on almost anybody they play like not a Georgia mm-hmm. n- not somebody who's going to just pick pick up their line of scrimmage and, and relocate it but against most decent defenses Kansas is going to score at this point I I think um man that was and Houston just falling apart like that was yeah. uh I mean, their run defense had been bad in their first few games. That was one of the reasons why I was so high on Kansas this weekend against them. I didn't think I didn't think they were going to win again, but I that's that's on me. I should have seen that coming. But yeah, their run defense has been bad all season, and it was evident again today. So just clarify: Kansas finished with 280 yards rushing, three touchdowns, six and a half per carry. Jalen Daniels, 123 yards rushing, two touchdowns. He also threw three touchdowns, 158 yards. They can get you any way they want to get you. Now, since you said rank them, do we want to discuss what these polls should look like tomorrow? Coming up on the other side, do we think Kansas will be ranked in the AP Top 25 on Sunday? We'll get into that and one of the best calls on the radio that you had all day Saturday and so much more from a busy week three. That and more next The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Every single Saturday night and early Sunday morning, if you happen to get it, you can find tomorrow's top 25 today on cbssports.com. My first edition is in Obviously, we've got some edits to come with plenty of action, including Texas A&M, Miami, uh, the USC Fresno State game, still all, and Utah, San Diego State, still impacting how things are going to shake out. Now, as it stands, I do believe that number 11, Michigan State, yeah, gone. All the way out. You beat two MAC teams, and then in your first test, granted on the road against Washington, um, they had a good charge late. They fell behind early. They end up losing that game. And so, let's see, final score, 39-28. to 28. I think that Michigan State does not have the quality wins to be able to remain in the top 25. However, my question is, who else is out if you are trying to make room for a team like Kansas? And who else do you two... I want to hear from you all first. Who else do you two think should be in the mix for those spots uh, in the top 25? Can we first offer a little bit of evidence to show just how bad Michigan State actually played while this game was actually a game? Because the final score is quite deceiving, in my opinion. Right? Washington housed these guys. Yeah. I pulled this stat off Twitter, and I should have linked it. But Washington gained 322 of a possible 323 yards in the first half. Literally, like... (laughs) They, yeah, they kicked the field goal one time. Michigan State's defense is hot garbage against anybody who can pass, which will be hidden at, at times in, in the Big Ten, but not all the time. And Washington State, or Washington just carved them up. So somebody, somebody said Michigan State's overrated. Some, somebody was out here. My you know, radio guy. I, he I said, know. hey, I think we might suck. I was like, oh, I, yeah. I think, I think we should. I think we should maybe lock up Washington minus three and a half because I think this Michigan team is uh, is a, not fixed all the way on defense. But you know who who am I? But right, yeah, just just a vibes guy over here. I, I want to gloat a little bit, speaking along those lines, that chip because like you know you, you mentioned it on the show. I mentioned it in the preseason. We were doing win totals. Like just don't really think that this defense is any good. Don't think it's fixed. I had some Sparty fans in my mentions last few weeks talking about how they'd only allowed 13 points in their first two games, you know, against Western Michigan and Akron. Yeah, so I, th- I, I agree with you all, Sparty, all the way out. So my next question is, um, <laughs> who else might be out of the top 25? Because you've got a Florida team that struggled with... Get them out. Get them out. Get them out. Mm. Yeah, Florida they does stink. not look like a top 25 team. Uh, Wake does not look like a top 25 team at, at this point to me. Like They're not playing good enough defense, and the offense is not cruising like it was. Um, Get a not- out of there, even if they hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's. I, mean, I don't think uh, – you, you're talking about what deserves to happen. I'm also talking about what I think will happen, yeah, right? Sure. So like What I think will happen is that Florida's win against Utah is just enough to hang inside. They could end up falling out, but – you're two and like, one. What if Utah loses? I don't think they're going to. They're up 21 I don't think to they're nothing. They're going but, to, but that's, yeah. you know, I think that the Utah win is enough weight for Florida to be able to remain in. I think that Pitt, 
Like you could talk about them being out. Wake, I do have dropping. I think that they will fall to like the very, very edge because there were already some voters that weren't in on Wake Forest. And so if you needed any reason to doubt more, 37 to 36 when you were a heavy favorite against Liberty, that is a reason to doubt even more. But, you know, outside of that, you... BYU. And they got housed. I, I, See, this is that kind of leads to what I was going to ask you guys because here's one for you. Like Baylor Oregon was right. The floor. Baylor is the floor for yeah. BYU, and I think Baylor. I've got Baylor dropping two spots to 19. I've got BYU dropping from 12 to 18, and then I've got Oregon's jump from 25 to 17. So basically, we've got this log jam of Oregon, BYU, Baylor, where it's too early in the season for you not to look past the head-to-head results when you start to stack those teams up. But do you have Washington ranked? Yes, 15. All right, because that's what I was going to say. Like, do you, with Oregon, was ranked 25 last week, you know, after, you know, beating, who was it? It was uh, Eastern. Eastern Washington. After getting crushed by Georgia, which I I think we've learned we don't really shouldn't hold against anybody, but still. So they, they beat Eastern Washington, they beat BYU, but Washington has wins against Kent State, Portland State, and then just beat Michigan State, who's a higher ranked team than BYU. So it's like they both have to be ranked. Kansas needs to be ranked. <laughs> We're only getting rid of Michigan that. State so far. And <laughs> it's like, where do we make the room? Right. And that's like the Kansas rank Kansas. That you're right. That's a that's a very, very fair argument. I just don't know when I'm trying to project this thing where they're going to break in. That's where you needed Florida to lose. You needed Texas to lose. You needed, you know. Pitt with its third string quarterback not to be able to actually have a 21 point win at Western Michigan. There's just a huge log jam. We're like, even so, what's our Texas AM? Uh, Texas AM. To nine. Oh my God, another field goal. Oh my you God. I can't believe it, but yes. Miami kicked another First of field all, goal. Kicked another field goal. Like, you know what? Screw it. it. If he Miami could just be like, gone. we're not going to play the game. I just want to recruit. Okay. This is so Get Miami out. Get Miami out of the top 25. Put Kansas Miami does place. not look like a ranked team. Like I do think at some point they will be a ranked team. I do think that they're going to win the Coastal still, probably. But right now they don't look like a ranked football team. Honestly, A&M doesn't either, but that's just whatever. Um, okay, here, here's a couple more for you. That, oh, that App, was- App State. You've got App State should be in. Indiana, yeah. Washington State. But but like App State has a loss to an unranked North Carolina. So it's like, are you, if you're going to bring one, are you going to bring both of them? And again, who are you throwing out? But that loss was in overtime. No, it wasn't. And it also beat. Or, oh, hey, oh, nah, baby. There were 124 oh, right, points yeah. in regulation. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. It just it had an overtime score, but it was in regulation. But I mean, they beat Texas A&M, and now Texas A&M's turning around, beating the number 13 team in the country. App State deserves to be ranked. I mean, like Florida does not deserve to be ranked anymore. We talked about that a little bit. I think if you got rid of Florida, it won't happen because they're 18 and they won, and voters are just going to keep them where they are. No, no, it's the Utah win. As long as Utah, because like if, yeah. if if you're going at just three data points, then that Utah win holds a, a little bit of weight. But I'm with you. Like Florida, I mean, even uh, even the Florida, the biggest Florida fan that we work with mentioned in the workroom tonight, it was like Florida should fall out. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Florida does not look like a top 25 team, but that's I'm I'm not giving my opinion here. Why is Florida ranked over the Knolls? Because of the Utah win. 
Yeah, but but LSU won tonight, and they beat previously unranked Ole Miss. Florida beat Utah, who has beaten nobody else so far this year, and looked terrible at home losing Kentucky. FSU went on the road, lost their I – mean, we'll, we'll do Knowles to go on Monday, I, I would guess, but lost their quarterback, lost their best defensive player, lost their best offensive lineman, already didn't have their best tackle, didn't even fly with them. Uh, like Florida should not be ranked over FSU. And I, I'm going to catch heat in the comments because I'm a Noel, et cetera, et cetera. But like, how? Minnesota at 3-0. and Unfortunately, well, Minnesota hasn't played anybody, though. Yeah. So it's like, I get it. Like, Washington they've dominated. State 3-0? Washington they State. Three group of five wins. Washington yeah. State Wisconsin, Wisconsin in Madison. Yeah. And they did not have a letdown today. They actually took care of business against Colorado State. So I, I think they have a better case. Washington yeah, I, I State think, has a better case. Yes, than Minnesota. Yes. I Although I, I do think sometimes we spend too much time paying attention to the teams that you did beat rather than how you played against the team that you played. And in that respect, Minnesota has just beaten the piss out of everybody its face. So in that angle, it should be ranked, but I can see why it's not going to be. Also, there are a lot of uh, realities where App State does not have just one loss. There are a lot of realities where App State has two losses, but oh, how blessed are we to live in the reality where this went down today in Boone? We'll see. See how many Troy rushes here. Two seconds left. To try to knock one down. Three-man rush. Chase going to step up in the pocket. Sets. Throws high into the air. It's up for grabs. It is juggle. That is courtesy of uh, Adam B. Witten and the varsity app, uh, App State, on a it. App State had a 17-play drive in the fourth quarter that ate nine minutes off the clock and got inside the three-yard line for what should have been or could have been the game-winning score. Chase Bryce's pass into the end zone on fourth and goal from the two is incomplete. Eerily reminiscent in the very same building of him missing a wide-open man on a two-point conversion that could have been a walk-off win against North Carolina. So Troy gets the ball inside their own, own five-yard line. They opt to take a safety. You know, not unheard of. You're up four. You take the safety. You, know, you pin the other team the other way. You dare them to be able to march down the field. And then Chase Bryce delivers a heave that doesn't quite make it to the end zone but is deflected down, scooped up, and run into the end zone for a walk-off 32-28 win for the App State Mountaineers. Again, there was App State's going to win this game. 17-play drive. Ate up almost the whole fourth quarter. Everything was going their way until it wasn't, and then it was again. Troy had the lead early. Um, Troy, I thought, brought incredible effort. Remember, they were 12-point underdogs in the game. Didn't have their best player, by the way. Didn't have their best defender. Yeah. Arthur Marshall, who, who makes like a million tackles a game for them, didn't play. 
Yeah, he was gonna um, like break records with his next tackle as like yeah. one of the all-time leading tacklers. Yet App State might be on one. I mentioned all this week after the te- in the wake of the Texas A&M game, I said, "Look, here's the deal: like App State's gonna put the the photos and the pictures of that win all over their facility, and it's you know gonna go down as as a memorable moment. But what's important here is what's at hand, which is." App State, a program that just joined the FBS less than a decade ago, has an opportunity, if they can win the Sun Belt, to be able to make it to a New Year's Six Bowl game. If you've got that win at Texas A&M and you are the Sun Belt champion and you are limiting your loss column, you've got a chance to play in one of the biggest stages that college football has. You just don't need to go screw it up. They almost screwed it up with a conference loss to Troy here on the following Saturday. So... App State is on one, but they can't play with fire like this again. But if they continue uh, with this kind of momentum and magic, we could see the Mountaineers become one of the great stories in college football. We could see the Mountaineers challenge, especially given Cincinnati struggling with Miami of Ohio early on, given Houston's loss to Kansas. Um, You start to look elsewhere among those group of five teams. Who else is going to be in the mix besides along with App State? So, I, I think that for the Mountaineers, an incredible moment. Boone is, whew, to be in Boone right now would be a, a life-altering, <laughs> mind-altering, sure, but life-altering experience. Um, what would you make of the incredible moment there for the Mountaineers? I mean, if you're Clemson, do you trade DJU for Chase Bryce right now? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Who thought we'd ever be asking that question with a semi-serious yeah, meaning behind it? <laughs> Do I get to run an offense that's not Clemson's offense? See that? Yeah. (laughs) Clemson's offense is not impressive, and I don't know if it will be this season. Yeah, I I mean, look, I Chase Bryce played well for them. I I thought Troy played really well, by the way. Like, I mean, that's to go in there, they Troy might be pretty good. Like, let's to me, and I know this is more of an app question, but Troy's good enough to if they play like this on offense, if Watson gives them what he gave them today on the road, they're like good enough to hang with anybody in the Sun Belt. Now well, Mar- I mean, Marshall's they- Marshall's A game may be better than anybody's A game, but Marshall does not bring their A game very often. So you know. I mean, Troy played tighter to Ole Miss than Georgia Tech did. By a lot. Yeah, it was 21-10 against Ole Miss for Troy, and Ole Miss just went into Bobby Dodd and blanked Georgia Tech 42 to nothing. They should be winding this clock, by the way. Oh, it's a flag. All right. I, I, was, I love in this game just seeing these guys, whoo, man, they're just, they're just waving all the runners home, winding that clock. Uh, sorry, just rooting, rooting on our, our, our lock infinity. Um, look, so – Apish is a good football team, and the Sun Belt this year is really exciting. I, they do have some limitations on offense, and I, I thought Troy was able to exploit some of those. That, number one, if you look at this, like last week, App really couldn't throw. The only week they could throw was against North Carolina, which we could probably put together a couple drives against the Tar Heels secondary. They lost their three best receivers off last year's squad. I don't think they have that same explosive potential that they had last year they're a pretty good defensive team i think their offensive line is pretty good but troy was able to basically neutralize some of those receivers for them and that that allowed them to stay in this game and have a chance to win the game 
uh, you know, deep deep into the ball game. By the way, did you know that John, that their John Summerall, their, their head coach for Troy, was a player on the Kentucky team that lost to LSU in the Bluegrass Miracle? Mm. That's like so kind of insane. Say it was his fault. I mean, like, if this got- happens again, it's a trend. So. <laughs> Is he cursed? Is that what we're saying? Bud Bud Elliott says John Summerall, Troy head coach, has loser DNA. No, I I, I mean, those guys, those guys are just, they're playing so much better than they did last year. And I think they had quit on that coach last year. So new coach, new, new life. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. It was... So uh, interesting to me that BYU versus Oregon received no conversation on the locks pod. And that is our fault. Like I I will totally own that. We went through like, all right, any big game picks, big game picks. Like we continued to come back. And the fact that no one had any pick or even thought about it only speaks to how uncertain we were about BYU specifically. And as it turns out, no Gunnar Romney, no Puka Nakua down two defensive linemen. And how uncertain we were about Oregon, which what do we do about this Ducks team that got worked by Georgia? And then, yeah, of course, you ran it up against Eastern Washington. Well, I'll turn to Matt Preem uh, from 24-7 Sports because he brought something out that I, I think that is worth mentioning. The first team offense, just the starters, scored on 13 straight drives after being held without a touchdown against the Bulldogs in the opener. That was seven straight scoring drives and the win against Eastern Washington before they were pulled, and then six consecutive scoring drives to start the 41-20 to win against BYU. The narrative, the story that is being built is that this Bo Nix-led Oregon offense has found its footing. Do you buy it? Well, a little bit, no. yes. Okay, yeah, let, let's discuss then. Good. Tom, Tom first. Uh, I mean, Eastern Washington. Cool. I mean, great. You're Oregon. You should be putting up a bunch of points on Eastern Washington. And in this game, like BYU is missing a couple top players on both sides of the ball, which impacts it. I just think, I think this is just, this is no offense to Matt, who's, you know, does a great job at Ducks 24 7, but they're not, they don't know Bo Nix yet. This is just Bo Nix. He's going to have really good games. He's going to have really bad games. It's up and down, up and down. And I don't think what he did against BYU today means that this is, I'm saying it's like, the offense was never as bad as it looked against Georgia. That's just what Georgia does. So now it looks competent in games against BYU and Eastern Washington. It doesn't mean it's trending in the right direction. It just means that 
it's back to what it always was. It's just not playing Georgia anymore. But this is a team, I mean, to Oregon's credit, I'm not trying to take away anything that they did today because they played outstanding today. They kicked BYU's butt. It was 38-7 to after the third quarter. The fourth quarter kind of made this game look closer than it actually was. But I just, I still don't really buy into Oregon's offense as anything special, though. I, I think it is a pretty good offense uh, that has the ability to really house some teams that, who don't match up very well with it. Uh, they actually moved the ball on Georgia for a couple of drives while that game was still like competitive before it was garbage time. And they didn't do anything with those drives, right? Like they eventually they, they ended because they would pressure Bo Nix and, and he would throw it away. And I agree with Tom that you really can't take the Eastern Washington, you know, whatever little sisters of the poor type thing for any kind of statistical measure. But Bo Nix, I think if you're if you protect him, does have some talent. Like he does have a good arm. He can move around and buy himself a little bit of extra time. He's pretty mobile. So I'm not really sure how many teams in that league are going to get a whole lot of pressure on Bo Nix. That is a pretty good offensive line. We discussed this, by the way, on the on the Wednesday show when we did a little bit of the sort of like like preview segment. We're like, look, at a certain point, Baylor at the end of that Baylor-BYU game, said, we're not going to throw the ball. We're going to just push you guys around. And how how difficult it was to face Baylor and, and, and Oregon's offensive lines back-to-back for that, that BYU defensive line. And honestly, like BYU got pushed around up front by Oregon's front here. And so Oregon, I think, is pretty physical and can be a good offense under Kenny Dillingham this year. Like He's still learning. It's the first time I think he's called plays solo. And they'll learn, and I don't really think their receivers are great, but Who's pressuring them in that league? Stanford? No. Oregon State? Probably not. Utah could. Washington. Washington. Washington could, yeah. That defense was getting yeah. after uh, Thorne today, and that was the kind of thing where I was wondering, you know, what what happens when we change our mentality? Like when Kalen DeBoer comes in and we're no longer the defensive coordinator, do they still have that edge? And, I mean, they were playing at home. They were fired up. We'll see if it's able to be sustained across an entire season, but thought the Huskies' pass rush and pressure looked good today. Yeah, that that's a good team, man. Like, I'm not. I don't, they're not going to go undefeated, but like that that's a pretty good team. They they can give a lot of people some problems. Also, like Michael Penix. <laughs> Where yeah. the hell did that come from? Like, I know he had moments in 2020 with Indiana where he was doing some really special stuff, but there was also some doy-doy plays that were mixed in there pretty often. The, the Michael Penix we've seen so far this year with Washington just looks legitimately good. If, if we're going to talk about the Kansas coach just winning every, every stop he goes, uh, Kalen DeBoer's DeBoer. offense has yeah. put up points <laughs> everywhere he goes. Like, they just score points. And Penix seems like like there's no hesitation. He knows exactly where he needs to be going with the ball on every play. I, I I'd love to sit in the meeting with the board and just like understand how, how he installs this and, and how he teaches these guys. Because like this, this is early in the season and these guys are just clicking and it's cool to watch. Yeah, I need to I was thinking that I need to start to get in on um the personnel of these receivers. It seems like the ball is being dispersed oh. to a lot of different players and I don't I have, have a good I don't have a good beat on the, I do have a good story. That room. Okay, let's hear it. All right, so I was not on like rankings committee at the time, obviously, because I was still at SB Nation. But my last year at SB Nation, um, the Houston Nike event, I thought Jalen Polk, this kid from yeah. uh, Lufkin, Texas, balled out. I was like, and I'm a, I'm a Florida guy, but like I was doing you know, all, all the national stuff for SB back then. 
he was killing it, Houston Nike. I was like, damn, this kid's pretty good. Like, I made a note to, to check on him. Um, and then he broke his leg as a senior. So then he was recovering. He, he ended up signing with Texas Tech. And then I think he transferred to Washington. And I was like, that's a great get for Washington. Like the people, I mean, I'm a Florida guy who saw a Texas kid one time at a camp. I thought he was really good at Houston <laughs> Nike camp. That he has you know, not a whole lot of high school film. And then he goes and Jimmy Lake just doesn't believe in playing offense, apparently. So he kind of just <laughs> mired there for two years. And then tonight I was like, that's the kid I remember who was just mossing dudes. Okay, like this is this is kind of cool to watch. And McMillan or uh shoot, what's his name? That, that they got some nice yeah. weapons there. Yeah, Jalen McMillan. Yeah. Did uh did RG3 really call it Big Penix Energy? Yes. He called it Big Penix Energy. I love RG3 in the booth. He just brings a, he brings his own big Phoenix energy to the booth. It's different. Changes things up. Love the vibes. DGAF. <laughs> no, yeah. RG3 DGAF. Yeah, and yeah, the snap infraction he called premature snapulation. Like he's just wonderful in the booth. <laughs> incredible. Is is he still with Mark Jones? Yes. Oh, they're great. Okay. Yeah, so Mark Jones eggs him on like crazy. And I think yes. RG3 is pretty creative. But like at times, I'm like, RG3 is a smart guy. And when he actually talks about like analyzing the game, he does a pretty good job of it. Like, like you can tell the guy actually watches the the watches the film the broadcast is supposed to watch and see it. And sometimes he starts to go into a point and Mark Jones is like trying to egg him on and say it's something mm-hmm. else, just catchphrasing. I was like, like let RG3 do catchphrases, but also give good analysis. Uh but the example that sticks out of my mind was the FSU weight game last year when he's like, who will Mike Norvell give the rose to? He's making it like a big bachelor thing. And I'm like, it's the third quarter. It's very clear the other guy has a foot that doesn't work right now. So <laughs> there will be no other rose given, right? Like, can we drop the – let's get away from what we're doing. But it was first year in the booth, I think. So, yeah, he, he does a really good job. That guy's a rising star. Um, we – so we haven't really dug into um, – 41-12 Penn State's win at Auburn, but we did on social media. Y'all did a good job of clipping and sharing and discussing how important it was for uh, Auburn to have the best running back in the game. That for Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter to be able to be the the strength here, and sure enough, it's Nick Singleton who, after going for ten carries. 179 yards and two touchdowns had a real letdown of a performance with only 124 yards and two touchdowns on a similar 10 carries. The dude like Allen looked good too. Um, Tom, you had the write up for cbsports.com in which you sort of mentioned highlighted both these young uh, running backs where finally when we, we blamed the offensive line, we blamed the running back room The ground game for Penn State is consistent, explosive. The group is deep. Sean Clifford, shockingly, with all the support, doesn't turn the ball over as much. Mitchell Tinsley was really good. You were still able to hit everything you needed to. Red zone execution was so much better. Before we get to the Auburn side of things, Tom, like, I mean, Penn State, we're we're, we're shifting Michigan State down. Penn State is much closer... uh, do you think Penn State is much closer to Ohio State and Michigan than the rest of the pack in the entire Big Ten? Yes. Yeah. I, no I, I, they're the third best team in that division. That that prediction of mine is actually looking like it's going to be right. I just it's what stood out today. And again, I think the forty-one to twelve score, like Penn State goes on the road and beats Auburn forty-one to twelve. If if you're not paying close attention, that's probably going to raise your eyebrows a lot. Like, wow, a little too much compared to just how 
bad Auburn might be. But I think that for Penn State, what more than the score, what I took away is kind of what you were talking about is, first of all, Sean Clifford is mobile again. Like in that opener against Purdue, after he took that hit on his knee that he has the brace on, he was a statue in the pocket. And Sean Clifford's strength is not standing in the pocket being a passer, especially behind that offensive line. So he looked healthier today. He was able to move around. They were getting him on rollouts. He was able to scramble for free yards when they were there. And I think that's huge for the Penn State offense. I think having those running backs in Singleton and Caton Allen, who are guys that could, when the hole's not there and the offensive line's not doing a great job, they could still make something happen. And then when they do get the blocks, they make something really big happen. Like Singleton had the two rushes of over 50 yards today, which this I can't remember the year, but I remember the broadcast saying he's the first Penn State running back to have two carries of at least 40 yards in the same game since Larry Johnson and then you know you think of the other guys that have played there since Larry Johnson it's like wow it's been that a guy named Saquon yeah so (laughs) it's like (laughs) it's pretty good so like for me the Penn State offense today looked its most complete that I've seen it in a while and if that offense shows up it's not it's not on Ohio State's level close but it's kind of on Michigan's level as far as what they can do when they play like that. And I think that is huge for them. And defensively, they were very solid against an Auburn team that just, like, you kind of touched on it. This was this was an ABC kind of game as far as you break it down cliches. Like, red zone, all right? Penn State, five red zone possessions, scores on all five, four touchdowns. The only time it sells for the field goals, like in the fourth quarter at the very end when it's up 38-12. to 12. Auburn, four red zone possessions, two field goals, an interception, and turnover on downs. Turnover on downs. <laughs> yeah. And then overall, Auburn, you know, four turnovers in the game. Penn State, no turnovers. Like, if you look at the box score and you take all that stuff out, like, it looks like it was a very close game as far as total yards, yards for play, all that kind of stuff. But it was, a, it was a blowout because Auburn just, Auburn can't throw, Auburn can't run, Auburn really can't do anything. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Tom on that. I mean, I, I went and got my laptop re- re- pretty quickly w- in watching this thing because I, I was watching, I was like, Auburn is getting by on like heroics, third down type amazing scrambles or, or unbelievable catches, whereas Penn State is just methodically marching on, on these guys pretty repeated. I, I thought Penn State looked well coached, you know, like, like very few mistakes. Uh, you saw why Sean Clifford plays over, over Drew Allar in this game because like the one that stands out to me, he has 12 seconds left. He decides he's going to change the play. Like that's a guy – He's like 26 years old now, it seems like, knowing exactly how long it's going to take to change this play. He gets each of the linemen. He communicates to, to, to the back and, and, and tight end and, and to the receivers. And like he even points, you can tell, like, hey, this guy's blitzing. You're hot behind him. And he was right. Auburn didn't check out of it because they didn't really have a lot of time because 12 seconds left. Boom, first down. They never looked back. I, I thought Auburn's off, or I thought the Penn State's offensive line played well and moved mm-hmm. Auburn off the line of scrimmage quite a bit. Like, that's new. Penn State has not moved. Again, we think Auburn's defensive line is good. Like we don't know it necessarily because they've played two pretty bad offensive lines in Mercer and San Jose State. But like, I think we have reason to think Auburn has a good D line, and Penn State moved them today, which was new to me. Uh, Mitchell Tensley is a nice pickup for them in the portal. To rep- I mean, he doesn't replace Jahan Dotson, but like that helps certainly to get there. And one guy I loved that, that Penn State had prior was Noah Kane when he was healthy, like he had great vision and balance and nice patience. And while Singleton is the home run hitter of this group and just has unbelievable speed, like that, that safety had an angle on him until he did not. <laughs> and it was gone. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Oh my <laughs> gosh, that is, uh, that is wild. 
Catron Allen down on the goal line. Mm-hmm. I'm here for that. He has really nice vision and patience, and that that little little s windy hit to score that, that fourth touchdown was was pretty. Like, and that was just understanding where the blocks would be. And you know, I, I thought Manny Diaz did a nice job calling this game, and it was high risk, high reward at times. But Auburn had a new center. We talked about this really since that we got word that Nick Brahms probably was done for the year, and they had a gap pressure all night on these guys. And it, it was. It was a nice effort for Penn State. I'm sure we'll probably talk on Monday what it means for Harson, but uh, I, uh, will we talk on Sunday? Oh, I don't think so. They have a new they, like they ha- they don't have a new AD officially in yet, right? Does that matter? <laughs> <laughs> the guy cutting the checks is still there. He's fine. No. <laughs> No, it's you know you mentioned like the coaching of the game too. Like there was a there was a moment early in the game, Penn State's very first possession. I think they were at their own forty four. It's like a fourth and one, and Sean Clifford had taken a huge hit and got like just blown up. And they went for it on the next play in a QB sneak. And there was a whole lot of like, oh, that, that's a terrible decision to go for it there. Like I saw it on Twitter. And the thing I took away from it was I probably wouldn't have run the QB sneak after the hit Sean Clifford took. But my thought was, man. James Franklin does not think Auburn can move the ball against his team at all. He does not respect this offense at all. He's going forward on fourth and one in his own territory on the first possession of the game, and he was right. Yeah, it's um, – I've got to say that after watching today sort of play out, I don't know if Bud's right about this. I mean, I really don't. I mean, Bud's right about so many things, but after Will Shepard goes for 10 catches, 171 yards, and two touchdowns, Bud said that Auburn's got the worst receiving core outside of Vanderbilt. I think Vanderbilt might be better. I think that now that we've switched over to the A.J. Swan era and Vanderbilt is over by October! Three and one for the first time in five years. Vanderbilt 38, Northern Illinois 28, 24 straight points to close the game. Those of you who were with us, and there were many of you, y'all were coming out the woodworks. We cashed the over by October. Vanderbilt gets it done in DeKalb. Again, it's not Mike Wright. The A.J. Swan era is off and running. 255 yards passing, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, Ray Davis puts up a buck 16 on the ground. And again, Shepard was kind of unguardable there in the second half. So, man, it's it was a it was an exciting an exciting day for for hashtag our doors. Very proud of our doors. Swan, uh, Swan might be pretty good. I, I think Barton might have got one there, man. As far as having a QB, like I, I, he's got a little something to him. I'm impressed. Do we know um, what their travel schedule is? Who, Vandy? Yeah. You want to text him? Well, I, I sent him. Why, this- is he? You, th- you think he's still in DeKalb right now? <laughs> Should I ask him if he wants to come over? Hey, you want to join a live reaction show from my bedroom? <laughs> Actually, that that would have been the move. Uh, <laughs> The, yes. he, he shared the he shared the photo of his uh of his um that awesome jacket that Haley got him like the mm-hmm. the retro one 
And it looked like he was on the team bus at that point, but I didn't know if they would be flying. They, they wouldn't bus all the way back to Nashville. Never mind. That was a flight. It's another <laughs> SEC team. Well, it was, the offense and the defense take a separate PJ. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. I, That's I, a I, joke. I, I really don't think they, 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 they do, but they I don't could. know. It's, it's Vanderbilt. <laughs> right? Does Vanderbilt fly private? No, well, they, did, they fly charter. Do they fly private? I don't know. I'm going to say charter. My, that's my guess, too. Um, are, are we fine? Oh, yeah, 17 to 9. And by the way, is so Miami was driving. The game ended on a uh, incomplete pass from Tyler, more than more than less ended uh, with a Tyler Van Dyke at- attempt on fourth down. But as Miami was driving down 17 to 9, which Reminder is eight points, technically a one score game. I saw the chat pop it off. It's like Mario's getting ready to kick the field goal. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to CFB Connor. He goes, so so they're down eight. He goes, Do you think if Miami scores here, they'll kick the extra point? <laughs> <laughs> hey man, Miami fans, I'm sorry, but it's too funny. It's it it's just it is everything. Like it's everything that we um predicted in like the worst way right like if all of the justin herbert jokes unfortunately are coming right back with the way that tyler van dyke and it's it's not tyler van dyke's fault he doesn't have any receivers and the receivers that were out there were just drops after drop after drop still (sighs) Keyshawn smith nine targets three catches jacoby george five Mm -hmm. targets three catches michael redding jr 10 targets Three catches. Brashard Smith. Hey, we got a guy that caught more than half his targets. Three three on four. Elijah Royal. Second tight end. One on three. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the state of Arizona, Jetfish's Wildcats have just gone up 17 to 14 on North Dakota State at halftime, while Eastern Michigan just took a 24 to 14 lead on Arizona State with a minute left in the first half. I just heard FCS champs. <laughs> FCS champs. All right, so real quick on uh, on Miami, Texas A&M, before we get out of here again, the game just went final. Texas A&M 17, Miami 9. Uh, I've got to figure out. I'm going to – is Miami still a top 25 team? I, they don't have a top 25 resume, that's for sure. Like, they looked good against nobody for two weeks. Then they only managed nine points against Texas A&M. Granted, A&M's got a good defense, so that's not really something they should be punished for. It's just – if if you take away the brand and the recognition and the preseason expectation and you just compare what Miami's done to this point to a few of the other teams we've mentioned, no, Miami does not deserve to be ranked, but it will still be ranked. They'll okay. be they'll fall into the twenties, but they'll still be ranked. Right. Bud. I mean I would take issue with the idea that they didn't actually look that good against the, the Golden Eagles of Southern Miss. It was a back no. quarterback back for Southern Miss, and, and Miami went to the half very close. They didn't really control the game. They needed a flea flicker to put any kind of distance between themselves and and, and them. I, hey, they're not playing like a top 25 team. Kansas has two more wins that are more impressive than any win Miami has to this point. If Kansas played Miami tomorrow, are you taking Kansas? No, I'm taking no. Miami. Taking Miami, but Kansas right now, if you're going off resume, deserves to be ranked over Miami. And and my counter would be that Miami just went to Texas A&M without its top receiver. 
who might be out for a while, so we might have to just factor that into who they are. But without its top receiver and as a six-point underdog, lost by eight and had a chance to tie the game late. Like, played two expectations, at least in that performance. Right? Mm-hmm. That, would be the, that would be the argument for Miami not just sure. being like thrown off the face of the earth at this point, is that you went into a tough environment against a difficult team. You played two expectations. You are going to drop, certainly, but there's no reason that we're going to, like, fire you into the sun and give you that kind of treatment at this point. Fair? Yeah, we could. Wait, so what is the road forward for Miami? Like you mentioned um, that you think that this is a team that is probably what, but Bud, do you say probably still going to win the coastal or you think that could still win the coastal? I just think uh, the, the injuries are racking up pretty hard for Pitt right now. And mm. that, that's, that's going to bite them. But like, so Miami has Middle Tennessee next week, mm-hmm. who, who they'll beat, and maybe they'll screw around with them for a little while. But like, like they'll they'll play with their food, they'll they'll win. Then they host North Carolina, and I think they'll beat North Carolina because I just don't trust North Carolina to get stops against anybody. But then they go to Virginia Tech, which is not super scary. They host Duke, and Duke's massively improved. They, they go to Virginia, they're going to beat Virginia, then. November 5th, they host FSU, which, again, if Jordan Travis is back by then, which I think he could be, actually, uh, that could be an interesting game because Jordan Travis with this FSU team is playing like a guy who might get drafted, which is kind of crazy to say. And they could like they could beat them in Coral Gables if, if their team's back. Georgia Tech at Clemson Pitt to close – that month of November for Miami is going to kind of tell the tale, guys. You, either they get it together, they start to function, Van Dyke and these receivers are on the same page, or they're not. If they are, maybe they're 9-3, and three, right? If they're not, I don't know, maybe they're 7-5. and five. North Carolina, um, Florida State, and Pitt all being at home, and, and I'm sorry to be so mean about this, but like in another stadium – in another situation, you would be like, that's awesome. But I, I mean, I don't know what the home home field well, advantage is outside of like travel. And they, they show out for the FSU game. I, I think that's still a, a bit of a, I know FSU fans say like it's Seminole hard rock stadium and that there is, it's basically just a neutral site. And it's certainly not like 80, 20, but it's probably 60, 40, you know, 65, 35. Uh, I'm sure for Mario that there'll be a lot of guys out, out there this year. But I agree with you as far as Miami not being a big-time home field advantage for all the games that are not FSU. They don't seem to show up. Like, they'll play North Carolina, and there'll be 30,000 people in the stands. But those games also you don't have to leave for. So Sure. You know, no, the, the, the travel aspect's important. And then if you do at Clemson, I mean, shoot, the way that Clemson's playing right now, who knows what that game's going to look like. Yeah, I, I guess I'm with you. All right, what about the Texas A&M side of this? Because... Certainly, I none of my concerns about Texas A&M's offense seem to be answered or you know addressed just with the move from Haynes King to Max Johnson. I mean, this is still a group that needed a short field, you know, just to be able to get a scoring opportunity in the first quarter, and needed a lot of Miami uh, offensive struggles to be able to get their 17 points in this game. 
So, you know, what what is the the ceiling for Texas A&M moving forward? Uh, a group that it goes that hosts Arkansas next week goes to Mississippi State on October 1st and then to Alabama on the 8th. And that Arkansas game is a neutral site. Mm-hmm. It's that uh, Arlington, Arlington. Pl- play it in Jerry the we'll, we'll tailgate in the parking lot in front of a Walmart thing. Um, I think that game is okay. huge for their season. Yes. Does A&M win any of the next three games? Arkansas, at Mississippi State, at Bama. No buys in there. I think, I think they could beat Mississippi State. Mississippi State just lost to LSU. But um, I think yet yeah, next week I feel like is a fulcrum game. Like if they win that game – they beat Mississippi State, and then they'll probably lose to Alabama, but they'll still probably do pretty well. If they lose that game, they could just as easily lose to Mississippi State and then lose to Alabama, and everything could spiral quick. Mm. Yeah, I think that they, I think they beat Arkansas. It's. It's possible. So, do you think that Bobby Petrino spent all offseason studying Barry Oates' yes. defense and just was like, "Yes, I've got a fifteen, yes, fifteen to twenty-five plays right here that beat this thing. I've been around this game long enough that you show me that kind of a defense, I'm going to know exactly what's going to beat it." And he coached up his offense to be able to go and take care of business. Bobby knows how to get an FBS job again, and it was. It's not going to be winning games at Missouri State. It's going to be beating Arkansas. Yes. Okay, so we're not going to overreact to the Missouri State Arkansas game. That was that was a one off. I mean, yeah, and it could also just be again. Arkansas has got a huge rivalry game against Texas A and M waiting next week, so they might have just been caught sleeping there at the early in the game. Arkansas Fair. has been pretty banged up. I, I, I imagine they didn't do a whole lot of hitting in practice this week. Just you know, thinking about how, how those last couple games for them went, just like they, they got a lot of guys who've been who've been dinged. My my thought is like. LSU has better pass rushers than, than than Mississippi State does, or excuse me, than than Texas A and M does, and like we'll have to see how how A and M secondary looks. I, I I think LSU's defense might be better than the Aggies' defense right now, just wow. from what I've seen. I, I think Matt House is doing a great job with that LSU group. I'm not real high on this LSU offense, but A and M will have to score a little bit, I think, when they play Arkansas, because I do trust Kendall Browell's teams to go ahead and score a little bit, and I I, I think this. Arkansas offensive line can push around and a little bit up front. And we'll see, like Arkansas has given them problems before. Yeah. Truth. All right. Anything, uh, anything else we want to hit before we get out of here? Do you think this Iowa Nevada game is ever going to end? I don't know. I need it to uh, go the distance. If this gets canceled, season win total bets are done. For Nevada. Yes. The whole, like, all of them. Right, because they have to play 12 games. Mm-hmm. So those of us who sought it out and realized what was happening and snagged those under five and a halfs back in, like, May, all that work is for not. Yeah, exactly. Also, if you have a four-game Iowa bet, I'm in the Caesars contest. Right, and I think I actually have. They, they don't care what yeah. they're doing to us. Make them play in the I, Thunder. Who cares? I, I have Iowa. If the game doesn't go final, it doesn't count. It, it, it's just you, you don't get I mean, to do a replacement pick. 
one player gets struck by lightning. Is it that big of a deal? <laughs> really? Like, I mean, is that not just kind of like natural selection in a way? And if Iowa covers, I might be six and two, or I would be six and two. And I mean, that would make me the probably the overall leader. On the uh, on the locks? No, for Caesar's contest. Oh. So I would be very interested in this game finishing. Like I'm 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 I mean what's important is that Lock Infinity won. Yes. yes with, and without, it was not close. With without no. a doubt. In in the words of Tom Fernelli, and there was never, never a, a doubt. Doubt. Seventeen to nine. Come on. Nearly gave us whew, nearly gave us 17 points of wiggle room. Let's go. That's the thing. Like, we didn't even need Mario to be Mario. He could have gone for a few touchdowns and we'd have been fine. Yes, exactly. The God is mad at Iowa for scoring touchdowns <laughs> and he's throwing bolts of lightning at them for doing it. Like, you're Iowa. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. Show some respect for your heritage. Nevada and Iowa, who knows if it's going to be over. Um, We've still got, let's see, Utah looks like they're probably going to hold on for a win. It's halftime with USC with the 21 to 10 Fresno lead over Fresno State. Who knows if that one ends up being an upset? Uh, we'll be sticking around for that. Address it on Monday's show. Oh, yeah. So, Brian Harson, you think no. What was the other one? Oh, when does Jeff Collins get fired? Uh, does Georgia Tech care? Because if they don't, they're not going to fire him until the season's over. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I don't know what the situation is going to be there and how thirsty they are for a coaching search right now. Did you see the David Hale stat? No. <laughs> yes. Georgia Tech has been outscored 183 to 10 in its last four <laughs> games against FBS opponents. Now, I think a couple of those are Clemson and Georgia, right? And then today, Ole Miss. So like an average score of 45 to two and a half. <laughs> that'll, that'll hurt your feelings. All right. So who is the uh, apparel? Georgia Tech is obviously they're not Russell. Athletic they're not anymore. Russell anymore, right? They're no. Adidas, aren't they? Adidas. I right. think they're Adidas, yeah. Because that's the Dion connection to Auburn, right? Because Dion's got an Under Armour connect. Oh. And like yeah. Dion's in with Under Armour. Auburn is Under Armour. Do you really think Auburn's going to hire Dion? No, I don't. Is that because it's Auburn? I I think Auburn is going to hire somebody. Um, Auburn's got a lot of money to spend. There's candidates out there who have Urban a, Meyer. Yeah. <laughs> That no, I, I I I think that they will swing it over Meyer, and if not, go get mm-hmm. Hugh Freeze. Yeah, Urban Meyer's coaching Auburn next year. But Dion makes sense because Auburn is an Under Armour school. Mm-hmm. And listen, Florida State that. would love to see Dion get. <laughs> Mike Norvell <laughs> would love to see Dion get a job at Auburn and just get that. Out of the minds of Florida State fans, yes, at least for three to four years. I mean, that's yeah. listen. I was I was happy for Mike Norvell on Friday night. I mean, that man, that man looked like he was like, "Whoo!" Cannot believe we got out of that one. 
But like if Auburn does hire Dion, can't we just think of like the Aflac commercials with Saban and Dion in them and like the next level that those will go to? Oh, it's going to be amazing. P- people will be calling and canceling Aflac uh, <laughs> for both fan bases. Like, no, I'm in. I want it. Did that sure. goat say gap? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Give me Iron Bowl Aflac. The Aflac Iron Bowl. Saban oh, versus dude. Dion. <laughs> Nothing but colored blazers. Let's Auburn uh, should Auburn should hire the boss, but as the sheriff of Fansville. That he's got a coaching character. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will recap some of the later night action and anything else that we were able to review on Sunday and Monday morning on Mondays upon further review, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure that you are tuned in and you can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. This is Sandra Herrera from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golazo Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, where the U.S. women's national team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the winter transfer window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more, Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third. 